the like anxiety that you will feel, which then comes at the detriment of everything else in your life. If you're trying to chase every single narrative, I don't think can be overstated. If you're a full-time trader, sure, it makes sense. If you're anything else, a founder, a builder, you don't work in crypto, it's just your, your hobby. If you try to chase every single narrative, you will drive yourself and everyone around you mad. If you are an Empire listener, hopefully you've played around on chain. And if you have done that, you know that transferring assets across different chains is a pain, to put it nicely. That is why we are incredibly excited to have the Wormhole Foundation as a partner of the Empire podcast, stewards of the Wormhole protocol, supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes. Stay tuned later in the show. We have a cool thing that you can claim, which is a Wormhole NFT just for Empire listeners. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. Here at Empire, you know that Santi and I are really into real-world use cases and always on the lookout for the next killer blockchain app. We're excited to share that PayPal has arrived in crypto to unveil a way to seamlessly connect fiat to digital currencies. Later in the show, you will find out how you can use PYUSD to check out at millions of online stores. All right, everyone. Eat Denver week. Santi and I are not at Eat Denver. We stayed home to make sure we could get a good podcast in for you. So, Santi, how you doing, man? Konnichiwa. I'm doing great. How are you? I, you you got to give some context around that or that is going to seem quite odd to people. <laughs> uh, I'm in uh, Tokyo uh, attempting to run the Tokyo Marathon this Sunday. And I say attempting because I have... I've been nursing this shin splint and ankle pain, but I finally, today, I had this breakthrough where I, I figured out what it was. Like the worst is being in pain and not knowing what it is because sometimes pain can like start, you feel like you have knee pain, but the real issue is like your hip or something else biomechanically. And I just felt a huge relief two hours before recording this pod. I'm like, huh, it's here. And then, like, the mind just plays weird tricks on you. Every time I'm running a marathon, like, leading up to it, it just, it's mental gains, which is kind of nice because it's so, it's a bit distracting to what is going on in crypto. I'm kind of focused on running the race. And actually, if I don't run it, if, like, Sunday morning I wake up and I'm just not feeling it or I start running and I'm not feeling it, I'm prepared to just walk away, which is important, I feel like. Hmm. It's a good mindset. Yeah. So a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of complaints seem to come around around these marathons. I was sick <laughs> for the last one. Some shin splint made up thing. Hey, I don't know, man. I'm, you know, I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> how old, how uh, old are you? How old are you? At least are you, will you dox that? This is like a, a, a um, zero knowledge proof. I am above 30, below 35. So I'll let the listeners try to guess. Nice. Cool. We're not meant to run marathons, I think. People no. forget. It's become this huge popular. Do you ever read the book about um, running barefoot? Yeah. Well, it's documented in my hometown, my home country, Mexico, the Taro Mara. And it's kind of wild. I've seen people do, in, in certain marathons, you see all kinds of wild people that are like, there's a guy that always runs with a pineapple on his head. There's people that run barefoot. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I prefer to run on my uh, carbon-plated Nike shoes that make me feel like I'm going to run two seconds faster. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's what I would be on to. I'm like, give me the, yeah. give me, give me those good shoes. Yeah. So eat Denver week. Why did you um? So did you skip it for the marathon, or you you're not a big conference guy in general? No. Although eat Denver historically has been a good conference. Um, there's a lot of people there. Uh, got so many fans of like, hey, are you in Denver? Um, there's some really good panels. I'll probably be, what I like to do is I'll go to YouTube and like listen to some of the, um, uh, you know, panels in 2x speed. Because the reality is sometimes when you're in these conferences, you can't even like listen well. Uh, the setup is not great. They're all spread across the city. And so, and it also like you're catching up with people. So you miss a lot of the panels. Um, but I like to go to one or two conferences a year because it's kind of important to meet people in real life. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, it is. It is. I, I, you've got some, that's how you met uh, Stani, right? And did the. Yes. So I, mean, I credit my best there. trade, one of my best trades to going to actually out here before COVID. Uh, the last DEF CON before COVID was in Osaka. And it was actually, I was thinking a lot about that this week. Uh, not only like this playlist of 2021 came about, and it was it literally was like reminding me of the exact same moment, Devcon Osaka. I was applying to A16Z crypto while at the same time talking to Ben at Parify. And really, this, is, this, can't, this can't have been 2021. You mean 20? It must be way early. Yeah, 20, the, the playlist is a bit tricky, but yeah, 2020. I see. 2019, 2020. I think it was 2019 or 2020, right? Well, when did you join Parify? 20, great question. We talked for like six, seven months before I officially joined. And in that process, I was applying A16Z because they were mm -hmm. looking for a partner. And I got pretty far there. They didn't end up hiring me. They hired Ariana. Um, oh, it's you versus Ariana. I have a funny Ariana story, actually. Yeah, I do too. Um, shout out to Ariana. She's great. Um, we, she was running a, uh, she was running a bidet company or something. Oh no, she was running a, before she joined A16Z, she was running a, um, you know, she had her different fund that like kind of got absorbed into Andreessen, if you remember that. Yep. And we, we want her to speak at like one of the first, um, Blockworks events. And I think the company was called Tushy. So I just cold emailed her like every week and was just like, got poop. Cause you know, no, no one knew, no one knew Blockworks. No one would respond to Mike and I, we had to do ridiculous stuff to get people to respond. So we sent that like oh, 10 okay. times. And then she finally was like, please stop, please stop. Emailing me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, it's an important like, uh, pause there because we both, if you go back not too long ago, this is 2020. We're talking about 2019. It feels like we are nobody. You're lost. You feel like you're, I felt at the time, like I was writing a lot. I was coming through, trying to document and learn from my mistakes from 2018. I'd done incredibly well, but kind of, I wanted to feel like I didn't, was not feeling very relevant. Um, and I wanted to have a bigger impact. I felt that joining A16Z would be a good move because I think they have one of the best microphones as a tier one VC firm being the most aggressive in crypto at the time. I felt that it was a great opportunity for me to kind of jump into like a step function and really, um, I don't know, they had great podcasts. Like I love writing. I'm like, okay, this could be a great move, but it was like, you feel like you're a bit like lost because no one cares about crypto, but, uh, going to conferences at the time was like the, the best thing that for me was to meet people. And in that process, I, it was right before I joined Parify, just coming back to the story at DEF CON. Uh, and there was like 20 booths in DEF CON and Ave was one of them. And it was Ethland at the time, but they still had that cute little ghost. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And so I, I met Stani, who was like sitting in the booth by himself. <laughs> and it was my second deal at Parify. The first one was Kyber. But it was the same strategy at the time. It was like redesigning the tokens so that you would reward only stakers, not everyone. Because a lot of these tokens run exchanges, run like Binance after the ICO. And you're like, well, you probably should reward active participants. And at the time, it seems so obvious now. And anyways, it was uh, probably one of the best deals that I've done. Len was at like 5 million market cap or something like that. And it was hard to buy. So we had to... We had to go direct. We had to go OTC and convince uh, Stani and the team that we were the right partner for them, put in a lot of work to convince them. And it was a great journey. And I'm excited to go to London just to bring it full circle to conferences because I will grab dinner with Stani, <laughs> who is my friend. He's one of my closest uh, friends in crypto, I'd say. Yeah, they had, a, they had a big announcement this week. So Lens is now fully permissionless. I think they had their, their biggest or one of their biggest sign-up days ever, actually. So... Yeah, shout out to them. Um, yep. Man, market's ripping this week. We've got uh, calm energy for uh, how, how what this week has looked like. So Bitcoin ran up to, I think it touched 64, maybe hit 63.5. Yeah. Uh, Coinbase went down for a little bit. Um, for a little bit. Know, for a little People bit. Were... For, a, 
from zero from, balances on their account. I yeah, was uh, seeing zero balances, but that, I mean, that is about as clear of a sign as you can have that the market is coming back is when, is when Coinbase fits is out for a little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's been interesting. The, over the last couple of days, I've been having good conversations with the folks of like uh, Jason Maple Leaf Capital, who's been on the pod. Again, a great thinker. He's out here uh, in Asia, at least. And we were just talking about his positioning. Um, he was actually fully deployed in October and he was telling me, look, I'm, I, I felt uncomfortable. And um, we were talking about the relative opportunity um, of going private, more, do more private deals versus liquid. And in what ratio you would allocate to like your top three, four positions, how we would think this cycle would play out. It was just a really good discussion. I, I love talking to folks like Jason. There's a couple of people that I go to to rebound certain ideas, but yeah, everything's, uh, uh, well, I don't want to like dictate the, how we take this conversation. One of the things that I try to pay attention to things, one, the relative outperformance. So when Bitcoin does 10, you know, 10%, 7%, what is the relative beta on a one day, seven day, 14 day, 30 day period of some of the other things that I like? Um, and how do those behave? And the reason I look at different time scales is because, as we all know, you know, oftentimes Bitcoin rallies first, it stabilizes, it sets a new level, and then everything else kind of flows, right? It's in the the ETH souls of the world and then alts in that sort of sequence. But yeah, I sometimes wonder like why certain things are underperforming. Like, you know, narratives like AI are such clean bets because there's not a lot of baggage from the prior cycle. It's uh, it's somewhat mean because a lot of these things are not like really have much traction. It's just sort of like a very hot narrative, similar to meme coins. Um, also, Bitcoin is like the ultimate meme coin. And I was talking to someone else uh, like Jordan, who's ex-synthetics. And uh, we were talking about just what Bitcoin can do this cycle that it hasn't that that hasn't done in prior cycles. Uh, because of the ETF. Uh, anyways, a lot to talk about. I, I'll pause yeah. there, but I'm just giving you some ideas of the things that I'm thinking about. The other one is, you know, I think people have already caught up to this idea that the ETF was certainly not priced in. So again, what is now people are thinking about, okay, there's the sequences, probably an ETH ETF. And then, um, you know, how do you play that? And I think- yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I th- Bitcoin has is is about what ten percent away from five percent away from full price discovery mode. It seems like it's you know it's you, you start to feel that time in the market when things are entering real price discovery, and it feels like we're kind of on the precipice of that. I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an all time high in March for Bitcoin. Um, I think uh, there's a couple things going on. Like people are pretty shocked by these all time by um by the e- uh, the ETF flows. So that's obviously the one of the big things. Um, it's we'll talk about the Uniswap governance, uh, the Uniswap fee switch, and um, what it seems like Coinbase may have won this big case behind the scenes, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, and yeah, this ETF. So I mean, I had some conversations with people over the weekend who it seems at this point there's like a greater than fifty percent chance this ETF gets approved in May, um, and that's a in May, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I know nothing. I li- I truly know nothing. I just spoke with folks who know way more than I do, and they said, "Look, they'd put it at you know probably fifty five, forty five, or sixty forty that an e- ETF gets approved in May." Um, really so yeah, positive. it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see this happen. It's you know what it is. It's um, you remember when Solana was running this fall, and I I kind of said I was like, "Look, this this is great. It doesn't feel like a proper rally though. It doesn't feel like a." It feels almost more like the 2019 Bin- you remember the Binance IEO run when like coins ripped, but then like pulled back a little bit and it was kind of quiet for a little and there's consolidation. I was like, that bull run reminded me a little more of what what that felt like in 2019. What's happening now reminds me of the early days of 2020 after COVID, or in like, you know, it's third week of March, fourth week of March, after Black Tuesday. It's a it's a proper Bitcoin led rally. Which, yeah. 
is like almost every it, rally is every it's how, it's rally. how it should be i guess i would say there's no there hasn't been a single rally it hasn't started with bitcoin rally it's the nature of fund flows yeah there's also not been a single cycle where you were 10 percent of the top of the prior top and it doesn't get blown past that in every prior cycle once you get to 10 percent of revisiting the prior cycle's top kudos to Xiao who brought this to my attention you blow through it so i yeah. i'm of i'm still operating under the mind that this year will be uh very positive for just markets crypto as well uh very much risk on yeah and solana is interesting obviously uh the ETH sol ratio has gone down what is it 40 percent since uh to quote some uh, of the some of the good trolls out there that uh we were uh hyperventilating the solana narrative and now we've been quieter uh uh I continuously remind people that most of my portfolio is still ETH centric, but I like to talk about things that are catching my attention. Uh, and I still believe that there's no reason why Solana can't reach Ethereum's market cap. I still hold that. Um, so, you know, am I coping? No. Um, <laughs> am I crying? Much, uh, no. I think the, no, I mean, I think, look, my portfolio is, certainly outperforming Solana because it's still very much look, I mean, publicly look at the things that I've invested. <laughs> Most of the best L2s on the seed rounds and I'm still very much, you know, hold Ethereum. So, and, and Ethereum exposure in the ecosystem. So, um, but um, yeah, I think, I think the, the, a lot of the big market participants are heavy, overweight Ethereum at the moment, just given the ETH narrative. Like yeah. a lot of them probably missed. Um, and you see this time and time again, if you miss a big narrative like the ETF for Bitcoin, then, and if you're seeing the price action for Bitcoin and the fund flows into Bitcoin, uh, being a three times larger asset than Ethereum, more, right? Four now. Uh, but I'm thinking of it like at the time of pre-ETF, then imagine what the price action does to Ethereum, not only because it's a smaller asset base, so you're starting from a smaller base. So the incremental flows into an ETF of Ethereum has a, probably a bigger impact, but also the proof of stake component of it, like there's just less float out there. Yeah. So well, let those me... two things, anyways, I think a lot of folks might are, are piling onto this trade. Yeah. All right, so I laid out this tweet. I had a I had a real bull market tweet here where it's got it's got it's got nine hundred and eighty five thousand views, almost five thousand likes. This is the first, it's the first time like you know in engagement. It's funny we had, so internally, we um in the bear market, we had we were kind of split on our leadership team at Blockworks. Like some people really wanted to one so like Mike and I were like you can't grow top of funnel numbers. You can grow like bottom of funnel, like you can grow ARR, subscriber numbers, things like that, but you can't grow top of funnel. Like you can't grow your Twitter following that much in a bear. It's like, no matter how much you press, you just can't grow it. Um, and you know, some other folks were like, no, 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 we just got to keep growing, growing, growing. I was like, you, I'm sorry. You just, you just can't, it's just the nature of crypto. You just can't grow. And so now no, that I the bull, I use, I looked at your user base and my user base. Cause that, you know, you remember that competition that I won. Uh, we probably each didn't grow more than a thousand followers during the bear. Yeah, and, and now it's crazy. And there, every week I'm gaining a thousand followers. Yeah, same. I'm, yeah, yeah, same, same, same. So it's just with the bull market. So, anyways, this is a big bull market tweet. So I want to lay this out. So I laid out the four stages of a of a bull market. And for context, I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest, tweets I've ever done was the three stages of a bear market. And I've got a lot wrong, but I think that those three stages end up being really right. And they not only were good for these kind of pithy little tweets, but they actually helped inform BlockWorks' strategy. And so I want to kind of share, I'm going to quickly do the three stages of the, the bear, and then I want to get into the four stages of the bull to hopefully help one or two people on who are listening to this. If you're a founder, kind of like figure out how you should be kind of angling your company, or if you're an investor, like Maybe think about allocation. So as a rem rem uh, reminder, three stages of the bear. You had the unwind. This is like the excitement and the greed from the bull market still exists. You have these assets that still have floors. Valuations get cut. But companies don't really make the tough decisions 
like killing products, doing layoffs, things still seem all right. It doesn't really feel like a bear market. Stage two was forced uh, forced capitulation. And that's where it's really started to get ugly, right? Narratives started to die. Prices fell 80%, then fell another 80%. Layoffs started to happen. Mainstream media and like cynics kind of, that's when you get like the cynics who really rise up in stage two. They kind of laugh and shout, I told you. And I would say Luna last year, or excuse me, this was 2022. Luna sent us into stage two. It's like the diamond hands become the four sellers and they sell not because they want to, but because they have to, right? Celsius didn't want to sell. They had to sell. Um, and there were a lot of companies that blew up in that stage. And uh, that's kind of like the lower the prices go, the louder the bears got, louder the bears get, the lower the prices go. It kind of creates this vicious cycle. And stage two, that's when you get these like prices that crash really violently. And the excitement kind of gets replaced by anger. Stage three, I would say, is what the last was what kind of the early half of 2023 was like, which is just bottomless exhaustion. And I know, I mean, you were mentioning this in 2019 when you're saying like, I I just want to be relevant, basically. Like I want someone to care about crypto. This is the bottomless exhaustion pain. And it's, it comes after the max pain. There's max, max exhaustion, right? There's no bounces. There's no, no narratives. Prices consolidate sideways or they just kind of trend down a little bit. It's really boring. Um, and at the bottom, anger is replaced by silence, I would say. And those three stages helped, I think, inform how BlockWorks thinks about when we should start hiring again, what the market will look like. So I laid out these four stages of a bull market, and I want to lay them out here. I'd be curious to see if you agree with this or not. So stage one of a bull market is rebirth, right? The exhaustion from the bear market still exists. These, you, have, you have these kind of sparks of hope. They pop up and they kind of fade away. You have a few new narratives that arise, but are kind of quickly killed by apathy. And this is when a lot of the media or your friends, if you talk to them about crypto, are still really focused on the bear market blowups, right? CNBC, they're still covering FTX. Your friends are still talking about SBF. Um, but all the while, prices are kind of quietly recovering, right? Your, your investment that went down 90% in the bear market just went up 5x, but you know, still down 50% from the highs. And only... The, the people who are in this cycle, I think, who realize that we're in a bull market are the folks who have pr- probably seen two cycles. So if you were, I mean, we were talking about this in when did, probably summer of 2023, saying, look, I think we're at the start of a bull market. Um, and I think and, and uh, the people who I saw talking about that were like very deeply crypto native people who have seen multiple cycles. Most people are still in belief, disbelief at this point that it's a bull market. So that's stage one. This is like. I don't know what you think of this, but I would say probably Solana coming back a little bit, uh, Frentech, like when Frentech kind of popped up, I was like, that was a sign to me. I was like, all right, this market wants something. Like maybe it's not Frentech, but the market wants something. That's stage one. I think we just entered stage two, which is excitement. The bear market has officially ended. Coins are nearing all-time highs. Some coins have blown past all-time highs. Everyone in crypto understands that we're officially in a bull market, but in I'd put quotes around this, the real world outside of crypto, people like they're not texting you. They're not messaging you. They're not like they're not FOMOing back into Bitcoin. Um, and that's stage two. You kind of feel this like weird combo. I don't know how you I saw you kind of I think your tweet was a subtweet of Mike's. Mike said, uh, I don't own enough coins. And you said you do own enough coins. Um, but I think you've kind of a lot of people feel feel this weird combo of excited and anxious, right? Your your stack is growing, your portfolio is growing, but you feel like you don't own enough coins. I said uh, on Twitter, your, your company starts hiring. You start ordering the guac again at Chipotle. Life is good. All your crypto friends are winning. This is the calm before the storm. So I think we're in this phase right now. Stage three yeah. is euphoria, right? Everything blows past all-time highs. There used to be a new narrative every week. Now there's a new one daily. It gets super hard to stay on top of everything, super hard to track everything. Private markets get really crazy. So right now, behind the scenes, there's a lot of funds that are raising these funds. In stage three, like the funds announced these $500 million funds. They skip the DD. They race to deploy. Every week, there's a new company that announces a $100 million raise. We're mainstream again. Forbes, Bloomberg, CNBC, they love crypto. Um, And then weird things happen. We start to shift to stage four. So at the end of stage three is kind of like Fortune 500 start buying Bitcoin Athletes, athletes and artists get involved, right? Crypto kind of permeates mainstream culture. Everything, everyone kind of starts to believe that we're going up 
forever. And in this stage, you're going to start seeing people saying, this is the inst the real institutional cycle. The ETF flows make it so that crypto goes up forever. This, this, is what, this is the stage when you start to see those kind of things. And what you want to look out for is like delusion seeping into your decision making. And then there's stage four, right? Complete disconnection from reality uh, could also be described as insanity, right? Nothing makes sense anymore. You and your company have more money than you thought you'd ever have. Your friend who knows nothing about crypto launches a token and is worth hundreds of millions overnight, right? There's probably going to be a crypto person or a founder, an investor who buys a sports team. Justin Bieber joins Farcaster. Crypto company spends a billion dollars on marketing. Like that is the uh, where a lot a lot of people get arrogant and lazy in this cycle, and it ends up causing them a very tough. Are couple of years. A lot yeah. Of so, are anyways, I'd be curious what you think of those cycles and like i mean you've you've lived through it even longer than i have like what what do you think about this framing yeah generally i think it offers a good blueprint of things to be aware of um most importantly avoiding catastrophic uh mistakes and i think it's a it's a good it's a good framework for most people i would say um i think people are People are are still arrogant and lazy. I don't think that we need to wait for for the end. There are certain things that are delusional and make no sense today, as they did in the bear market, like friend tech. Um, and so, certain things like generally, I do agree. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's a good a good framework for most. I was thinking about, uh, you know, last cycle going through. Um, the bear and kind of making sure to be, I think it's important to, you asked me in, I think last year, if I was of the mind that you should always hold certain things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and never sell, or if there was a price target at which I would sell. And I answered, yes, there is always a price target by which I would sell. Um, there's always an opportunity cost. And and I'm just of that mind that there comes a point where things don't make sense. And that level, no one really tells you what that is. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a perhaps a different perspective. And I tweeted about this today. I won't read the entire tweet, but it seems to have resonated with certain people. Uh, you know, there are many things that change and others that never change. And I read this week on the way here, this book by Morgan Housel. Mm. Uh, which is dubbed, I think, uh, things that never change. I think it's the name of the one second. I will pull it up. It is called. Yeah. Same, same, same as ever. ever Morgan Housel. Highly I read recommend. His book. I read his first one, psychology of money and it was, and it was really good. good. Yeah. He's a, he's a great writer. Same as ever Morgan Housel. It's hard to read in the bowl. I appreciate that. Read that. It's really, really good. So, um, it got me thinking of things that never change and things that all will change and certain things never change. Like I think uh, things will get crazier, probably crazier than what you initially think that they can get. Um, and it's always important when, when you reach that level, it's not you, it's not that you're a genius. It's that things are just getting crazy. And that probably is a good uh, indicator of being aware of what you're doing. Maybe taking down leverage, uh, yeah. maybe changing your life if you can, things like that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there will be pullbacks. You know, there will be whiplashes of minus 20, minus 10% days, even in a raging bull market. So it's important, especially in alt. So it's important to, you know, don't get liquidated. Yeah. Don't survive. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, it is again, you know, I won't read through all of them, but I think that the, those were the bigger points that I, that I wanted to, to emphasize. The other thing is like, you don't have to play every hand, right? The best players don't play every hand in poker, in the markets. So your point around, I think there's a part in the cycle where, you know, even in a bear market, it was difficult. It has been difficult for the last, you know, since DeFi summer to keep track of everything that's going on. And, you know, there's going to be incredible opportunities in Deepin, in AI, in DeFi, 
um, in who knows what other like gamble like game fi social fi different ecosystems cosmos l2s solana filecoin you name it right so i think it's uh you know some people may give you the impression that they're on top of it all but um i always like to remind myself that i need to do one or two things very very well just yeah. one or two one Ave, 150X, 1000X in a cycle with decent conviction and size. And and that should carry you through the day, I think. Hey, everyone, wanted to give a big shout out to today's sponsor, Wormhole Foundation, stewards of the Wormhole Protocol. If you are like Santi and I and you play around on chain, you know how bad the cross-chain experience is today. Well, Wormhole has set out to solve that, powering cross-chain transfers for over 200 different multi-chain teams, including some of the best like Uniswap and Circle. So what does that mean for you, the Empire listener? This opens up a huge number of multi-chain use cases across DeFi, NFTs, governance, oracles, and more. By supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes, including SUI, Solana, different ETH L2s, Ethereum, and a whole bunch more. That means you have now the most powerful interoperability platform at your fingertips. If you're a developer, you'll be excited to hear that Wormhole provides an extensive suite of tools and infrastructure so that you can securely build multi-chain applications. But don't just take our word for it, obviously. Wormhole Protocol leads the industry in all-time messages transferred with over 900 million cross-chain messages. 900 million, that is close to a billion, and that's a big number of messages. As a thank you, Wormhole Foundation is dropping exclusive NFTs. That's right. We got some exclusive NFTs for Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description to claim your unique Wormhole NFT today. The days of not using crypto for really anything in the real world are over. It is time to start using crypto in everyday transactions, whether that's shopping online or just buying a bagel on the street. We're excited to tell you about PYUSD, PayPal's entrance into Web3. PayPal is proud to share an open letter to the crypto community that outlines their commitment, their roadmap, and their goals in the digital currency space. PYUSD seeks to transform how you interact with your digital assets. Available today, you can send your crypto to your PayPal account, swap it for PYUSD, and then use it to check out at millions of stores. PayPal invites you, all the Empire listeners, to be a part of this journey. Hit the link in the description of today's episode to read PayPal's open letter to the community. It gives you a really good sense of what their vision is. Take the next step by signing up for a PayPal account today. The future of crypto payments starts with PayPal. Yeah, I think we're, we've, in my mind, we've entered the part of the cycle where it's probably best at this point to, assuming you've spent the, done the hard work in the last year to position yourself accordingly, we've entered the part of the cycle where it's best to just sit on your hands. Here's what people want to do. What people want to do and what people have the tendency to do is um, both to take out a bunch of leverage on their coins because they feel like they don't own enough coins. That's definitely the wrong move. Um but what people have the tendency to do is start to chase narratives because in the bear market, there's a new narrative, let's call it every month to two months. Now there's a new narrative every like probably two weeks or three weeks. So very soon there will be a new narrative every day, actually. And you can't really fathom that until it actually happens. There's tr- truly going to be a new narrative, like you know, at least three a week. And you start to get, I would say there's a money component of this, but there's a psychological component of it. You start to basically, first off, trading in and out of these things, I promise you, you you will end down at the end of the day. You will end down on your stack. Uh, but the other thing is the psychological component that comes with that. The like anxiety that you will feel, which then comes at the detriment of everything else in your life, if you're trying to chase every single narrative, I don't think can be overstated. If you're a full-time trader, sure, it makes sense. If you're anything else, a founder, a builder, you don't work in crypto, it's just your your hobby. If you try to chase every single narrative, you will drive yourself and everyone around you mad. And um, I yeah. Think, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll add some, I, I definitely agree. I'll add some nuance. The first one is, so what happens if you didn't do the quote unquote work 
which I think uh, probably the vast majority of people either feel it because it's real or feel it because it's psychology. They might be allocated, but they still feel, to your point, they don't own enough coins, they don't have enough exposure, that's a percentage of their net worth, whatever. Um, I think uh, I'll go out on a limb to say that I think in crypto, every time I think that I've missed a particular project coin that I like, more often than not, the market gives me an opportunity to buy it at a price that I like because it comes back to that level. And I want to, I keep reminding myself of that and I keep a shopping list nice and handy. I let it have a written piece of paper that I carry with me with certain things to remind, to look at it. I have alerts. And so, you know, because I think that's the position where perhaps a lot of people are in today, which is they feel like, oh God, you know, they didn't buy Ethereum at a thousand. Then they didn't buy it at 2000. Then they didn't buy it at 3000. They missed it. Or Bitcoin at 10, waiting for 10. They didn't buy it at 20. They didn't buy it at 50. They're not maybe going to buy it now. But so what do they do? It's per- it's really paralyzing. And you so and so forth. Right? You can look at Solana as well. And it went down 80 and then now it's 120. And yeah, oh my God, you know, what's going on? That's where I think it's just very important to go deep, spend more time than you probably think to do one of two things. One, like just think about and whatever framework you have, just think about what you feel comfortable holding, what is most likely not going to shake you out. And again, like you can add qualifiers, you can add comps, you can add whatever it is that you, whatever an analysis framework, I don't want to say fundamental because I guess there's little to latch onto, but um, just do deep work, get involved in these communities, talk to these founders if you can, most of the time you can. Uh, and, and and I think that's like a really good and like use of time. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you look at DeFi summer and I appreciate things never um, unfold the same by definition, you know, a man doesn't cross the same river twice, but in during DeFi summer, like compound launch liquidity mining, you had this huge run-up and re-rating like there's these moments of re-ratings we're going to talk about the uni proposal and what seemed to be a quick re-rating of DeFi coins governance tokens shout out to dj spartan that has coined the meme uh, worthless governance tokens so it turns out they may have value after all but there's a there's a very quick re-rating the market like wakes up and it can happen like overnight a subtle catalyst like a proposal like the uni one that have been by the way countless others before but what why is this different and i think we're going to want to talk about that. But in that moment, I would argue that there is a difference between chasing every narrative, but I, would, I wouldn't advise to do that, like constantly trying to trade everything. I would advise to pay attention to every narrative that is unfolding as much as you possibly can and your time permits. Um, of course, there comes a time of diminishing returns. If you never double click, if you never spend meaningful time on one that you like, but for instance, now I'd be probably doing myself a disservice if I'm not paying attention to AI or Deepin or Define Solana or SocialFi or Farcaster or whatever, even though I may not necessarily have invested there or not, or it's a really small percentage of my portfolio, I still need to pay attention to that because my role as an investor is I cannot miss a huge vertical and category. And crypto is in a state where we're still throwing stuff at the wall to figure out what's going to work. And so I had a, a poll uh, a couple of weeks ago saying, what, what narrative is really going to make crypto very tangible? And it was like gaming, NFTs, DeFi, Deepin, AI. And the top two, number one was Deepin, which I actually agree with. And the number two was AI, uh, which is a bit abstract. Uh, I think AI certainly brings a lot of attention. And you could reason that it might be a really good exposure for a lot of people who can buy NVIDIA to buy AI coins. They also have, you know, it's more elusive. So, you know, people just, it's really hot narrative outside of crypto as well. Um, and, but Deepin is probably one of those things where people really appreciate the tangible use case in their day-to-day life, whether it's because you have free mobile, uh, 
you know, I just invested in this company, GeoNet, um, that has getting a ton of traction with like industry folks. It's one of those projects that is getting more traction outside of crypto than within crypto, which I find really interesting. So anyways, to round out this thing, I think you should always pay attention to every narrative that's getting decent traction. Uh, you could look at CoinGecko top categories and understand like what's trending. Like there's a million ways that you can cut this. Pay attention. Don't necessarily trade it is what I'm saying. Um, I would, unless I would, I would push people to, um, I would push people to do the hard work of basically, it's not even that hard of work, but I would push people to basically sit down and say, all right, there's going to be like, there's probably 20 different things, right? There's, there's the L1 trade, there's L2s, there's NFTs, there's meme coins, AI, DeFi, there's kind of new DeFi and old DeFi. There's equities, right? There's the miners. There's the coin. Yeah. There's Coinbase equity. Um, there's gaming, obviously. There's Dpin. Um, there, you know, there's a million things. If you could only pick five or six of those, what are you picking, right? Because if you buy everything, what you pick today might change what you pick in a month. Like a really good product. That's my. But really? I don't know. I would. I take the other that's, side of that. Like I. Yeah, a really good. We're in just the state of the of, of the infancy of crypto, where a really good project can be a, a industry defining movement yeah. and catalyst. Like, like imagine if you were sitting in pre DeFi summer and Compound launches liquidity mining, and you had a, an opinion on other stuff, and you didn't pay attention to that. The market mm-hmm. gave you, by the way, nine months to a year to pile onto that trade and and outperform meaningfully. You didn't do that, and you're getting paid to be an investor in the space. That's oh. a good point. That's a good point. Oh, like that—that's I—that's my approach. Um, I'm always curious and playing around with stuff. Which, by the way, that's probably, when you think about doing work. I think using these things. You, you know what the key thing is there, though, Santi. There's you're an invest. Ah, uh, that—that's that's actually the key thing. I think you have to know the game that you're playing. So. I am not a professional investor. I would I would actually rather sacrifice upside. So like let's say you want to make 100x this cycle. I'd be comfortable, but like but with that 100x it's going to take lots of founder calls, it's going to take sp- spending time every day thinking about your investments. I'd rather honestly get a 50. I'd rather make, do, make half the money that you'd make if I can Crazy. I mean most, yeah, most I mean, ones are 5x uh, at best. Seven. Oh, I'm making up the 150. Whatever, say 10 or 5x. I'd rather get. Ha- I'd rather actually make half the returns that you make, but be able to spend 99% of my mental energy on Blockworks. So I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're there's this idea of like you got to know the game you're playing, right? Like, there's a lot of builders and founders who then bull market hits. They end up spending like five hours a day trading and investing and thinking about that. Like, that's not the game you're playing. You got to know no, the game yeah. you're playing. Absolutely. No, well, we should have started there, right? Yes. Yeah. Know the game. Nope. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, Do you want to talk about this Uniswap uh, governance? Yeah, I'll just want to, I want to emphasize one thing uh, because I, I admire certain um, professional investors. One of them is George Soros, which borrowed certain concepts around thinking of probabilities, like Howard Marks and George Reflexivity, Soros. Obviously. Thinking of probabilities. Soros would change his mind constantly. Like he would be bullish in the morning, bearish in the afternoon. So this idea of like, as CMS coined it, you want to be right or do you want to make money? Um, and being putting ego aside. The other one is, which is very relevant for this discussion, I think is Stan Drunken Miller. And he has this great quote uh, when he gave a private conversation, which is now on YouTube. And he says, look, if I like something, I don't wait to finish the work quote unquote, by the way, you never finish doing work. You constantly are updating your thesis and models. But if you like something, it could be a hunch. It could be doing five minutes of work, put in the position and, and then do more work. And if you like it more, add to the position. If you don't like it, cut. And I think that is very refreshing. By the way, coming from probably one of the most successful fund managers um, ever. and it's very refreshing because sometimes we're of the mind that we need to do a ton of work. And whatever that means is like very, very nebulous. It's like very subjective. You also hear uh, folks like Bill Ackman before COVID, he put on 
uh, a huge, uh, he basically bought like quite a default swaps on a lot of things and made a killing. And he was going through that analysis and he said, this took us an hour of less than an hour of discussion in investment committee. And you're like, okay. So what I'm trying to say is like, time is not the barometer here. And unfortunately, that's all, oftentimes what we are trained to think of. It's like, oh, I'm spending five hours a day. You know, I don't, it, it's difficult because sometimes it's like, these guys are not necessarily punting stuff. It may seem like it, but they're constantly observing the market to your point. They are getting paid to constantly live, breathe, observe markets. And if you're paying enough attention, I feel that you can kind of get a feeling for emerging narratives. And like when you tell me join Forecaster, I cannot not be at Forecaster. Like I cannot miss it. Something good may come out of that because it's getting decent traction. I'd be stupid not to look at it. I'd be stupid not to look at AI coins. Um, and so. It is challenging because there are so many narratives. You can get lost. You can be paralyzed. But anyways, I don't know. To each his own, right? I'm not Stan Druckmiller. I don't have his success or track record. Uh, but I, I think uh, it's also just very refreshing to see someone like that that has been so successful be very open-minded. And like, I think where most people, I guess, to finish this conversation most people probably end up spending too much time doing research, not enough thinking about how they're going to structure and size the position, which is equally as important. If you're right without size, it doesn't matter. Or if you're right with the wrong structure, it doesn't matter. So it's very important to think about structure and portfolio composition, um, especially in crypto, which you can express your view in so many different ways, right? There's liquid, there's privates, there are equities. There are just so many different ways that you can um, get exposure to the space. So anyways, it's fun. Have fun, folks. Seriously. <laughs> like, no, no, seriously, like have fun. It's it's uh, most intellectually rewarding space, I think, especially as a trade. Like I, I remember to this day, I try to convince uh, so many funds back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, even 16, before ICO madness to invest in the space. And even after the ICO mania, especially during the bear markets, like my former boss at Sage, we would reach out and we'd have lunch and he'd be like, oh, you still like this crypto thing? Like, see, I told you so. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're up like over a hundred X, but sure, we're in a bear market. Um, and I'm like, I would say, Ned, like, I've probably seen more cycles than most professional investors in their 80s at this point because crypto just is a huge learning curve. Uh, and you have to like learn new things along the way, be a venture capitalist plus high frequency trader at the same time and everything in between. So anyways, yeah. it's, it's a really rewarding and fun journey. All right. So this week, let's talk about this proposal. Um I'm trying to find out. I might just read Aaron's post. Here's the TLDR. Never mind. I'm not going to read that thread. The first, the first, the first tweet was the most important thing, which is that um, uh, Uniswap is now considering uh, basically driving fees back to token holders. Um, the there, it's basically this large scale upgrade where the fee mechanism would now reward Uni token holders that have delegated and staked their tokens. And the reason this is important is. Uh, you were laughing at the DGen Spartan kind of claim about useless governance tokens. There are all these tokens that launched, right? There are all these tokens that launched. A lot of them launched in DeFi and DeFi Summer, and they gained a lot of traction, and they were kind of the hot coins for a while. And then they have basically trended down for the last three years. And it's got, you know, there's a Bloomberg DeFi index out there, and it's down 85% from all-time highs right now, whereas a lot of other things are nearing all-time highs. It's, uh, and basically, this DeFi token uh, narrative has, has completely died, and it's caused a lot of apathy, I would say, in the governance space in DeFi, and um, it's had a lot of people question, like, what are these tokens even doing? And the whole, th the, the solution to this is to drive value accrual back to the tokens. However, you can't do that historically, or at least I'm not a lawyer, neither are you, but my understanding is that you haven't been able to do this historically because of the risk. If you turn on a fee switch, drive that value 
and dividends essentially back to the token, then it can be claimed as a security. Again, I don't know if that's the actual reason, but that's what's kind of the narrative. So um, Uniswap turning this on is obviously a really cool proposal. It's big for Uniswap, but it has massive ramifications across the industry. You saw a day later, Frax said, look, we're now considering doing the same thing. I think every DeFi founder is basically talking internally and saying, look, if Uniswap did this, that means they know something. What we then then we can hopefully consider this. Um, and I think there's probably a bigger, I don't, again, I don't know anything, but I think there's probably a bigger story here. There's probably a big legal win behind the scenes. Um, it probably didn't come from Uniswap. I think um, maybe Coinbase won a dismissal and it's not public yet or something like that. You actually had Paul, this tweet from Paul Gruwal, the chief legal officer at Coinbase, who tweeted maybe two or three weeks ago, he said, look, um, if you're out, word to outside counsel is a little bit of advice. If you have a huge win, let your internal lawyers tell the CEO before the outside lawyers tell the CEO. So that me, I, in my, I'm reading between the lines here, but I think Coinbase probably had a, had a decent legal victory. Um, and yeah, there's a, you're talking about big re-ratings, like this was, was the re-rating. Uh, 50%, a lot of DeFi governance tokens were up uh, big on the day and on the week and, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, there's been a few proposals out there over time to turn on the fee mechanism. It also was interesting because Sushi already had, is distributing that to stakers and it was also up like 20% that day. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, markets are not necessarily rational. It just brings more attention to DeFi as a category and, oh, by the way, these protocols are working and are generating a lot of fees and, oh, there's value here. It's an attention game. Um, and I think a catalyst like this, um, it, it, a lot of people seem to be really positive on the fact that Coinbase is probably going to win this case against the SEC. And that has, I think, really big um, ramifications, implications on the regulatory front. Just another win for the industry. Um, so we'll see. Certainly encouraging, I'd say. Here, here's the counter. Uh, is that um, So Gabriel Sh- Shapiro from... I don't know. Where, Deep, was he at Delphi? Uh, Delphi? He's at Delphi now. Or he? It's not in his um. Oh, Metalex Labs. This is the Delphi thing they're building. Anyways, um. So yeah, G- Gabriel said, "I'm so confused by this." This is the counter argument. He said, "I'm so confused by this and why what Uni is doing would change anything. The law hasn't changed one iota. There's no special sauce to their quote new strategy. Maybe they just finally hired a lawyer who isn't a moron. Only took them four years. Sorry to be harsh to Uniswap's doubtless." pricey lawyers, but Howie case law was always clear that there can be an expectation of profit without receiving fees and distributions and dividends. So it was obvious that the fee switch should not be the deciding factor in token securities analysis. Um, and Look, I mean, uh, he goes on to call what Uniswap has d- been doing for the last couple of years, predatory structures. Um, but so yeah. I don't, I don't know his beef with, with Uniswap, but yeah. Listen, uh, we can be, uh, have an intellectual debate of why DeFi tokens re-rated. The reality is the market maybe just put a little bit more attention. The fees are going to the admin contract folks. Whether they distribute them or not is a difference between imagine a startup that is generating billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars and they're having it in the balance sheet and you could see it in real time. You're not getting yeah. that dividend. Oh, by the way, that has tax implications. Maybe they're reinvesting in growth. Maybe they're just there. So like from a enterprise value component like market cap standpoint you're valuing these yeah. things off of cash presumably again presumably because the market's not rational anyways um yeah yeah it's uh, big, big shout out to um matt Fiback, who was on the roundup last week matt and uh, both spencer so so blockworks is um is a pretty active delegate in uniswap dow um mm-hmm. we have about yeah, 500 yeah. uni tokens that have been delegated to us um i think we're one of the bigger bigger delegates in Uniswap now. We also uh, we also have a, a seat on the kind of Uniswap deployment committee. Um, so, but Matt and Spencer have been doing great work. There was actually two, um, in the in the official forum post, they call out three initiatives that delegates have taken in the past year. And two of them were led by BlockWorks Research. So we have, I'm, 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 I'm excited to see why, what Uniswap is doing. I like it. We'll see. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's good to have more activity and shakeup from non 
VC holders because they've been there's been a lot of apathy because they want didn't want they have been reluctant to vote so they've been delegating votes to these like student run organizations who have no fucking business like voting on these things I actually think real votes should go to more folks like you as opposed to the pen club no disrespect but they have I don't know feels like a bit of a bit of a theatrics there uh anyways uh like you guys are closer to the mill folks in college I don't think so. Um, I, I will say I spent time with the with the pen folks last week. At, yeah, uh, no, okay. like calling out that. But, uh, example, I know what you're saying. They are good and they're thoughtful. I've invested. I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, so I, I, I have a I have a prediction. I have a prediction on Uniswap, which is that if you think okay, so Uniswap also launched Uniswap extension this week. It's um basically. Uh, it's it's like a MetaMask competitor. It's a Phantom competitor, backpack competitor. Well, I guess backpack and Phantom are more Solana based, but it's a it's a it's a MetaMask competitor, and it's really cool. I actually got an early demo of it, played around with it. It's really nice. Instead of living in your Chrome extension, it actually kind of pops down into the sidebar of your screen, um, like in frame. It's it's actually quite nice. Um, do you remember how people thought about Coinbase two years ago? Bloated, hasn't innovated. Not really doing much. Mm-hmm. But we we want alternatives outside of Coinbase. You remember how you know how quickly that has changed now, and how I mean Coinbase is now one of the most dominant, most innovative, best companies in crypto, hands down. Like no holds barred in my in my mind. I think it's Uniswap it hasn't gotten enough credibility. I think Uniswap basically just had a huge sophomore slump, and is about to just come out swinging in twenty twenty four. So that's good. Maybe that's uh, what it takes to have a re- renaissance of DeFi. Um, I, have yeah, one, we'll see. <laughs> I have one more hotter take related to Coinbase, which is I think this is going to pave the way. Whatever's happening behind the scenes, I do not know. I think Coinbase will launch base token in the next 12 months. Oh, and the regulatory landscape shapes up in the way they might spin out Jesse's team. I think. Yeah, I think I think I think we see a base token, even though they've said they're not launching a token and all that. I think we will get a base token in the next twelve months. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a version of the world where you have regulatory clarity, and you know, tokens. Like we're dancing around something that will be largely irrelevant. I think in a longer time scale yeah and it's actually would be quite refreshing that these things are seen as what they are and you know we there needs to be some rules and places in 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 guidelines in place and i think that will open up the design space for tokenomics and just be more transparent and focused on driving value to these protocols these protocols are generating a ton of value i mean uniswap at one point was generating more volume within coinbase with like 12 employees the market traditional markets are really focused on etfs now when you have an etf of a DeFi protocol like uniswap or a basket of protocols an analyst equity analysts start comparing this and they understand how lean and mean like crypto protocols are they will be going bonkers. Like you value Ethereum relative to SaaS companies on their fee generation. You can value these protocols relative to other companies and equities and like tech companies. And they are vastly more capital efficient on a number of metrics. Like it's, it's just wild. I'm waiting for that day to happen and it probably happens in the next three years. <laughs> um, but yeah, like to your point, I want to go back to something that ties both the DeFi discussion and the markets discussion. So, like for context, Bitcoin is down ten percent from its all-time high. ETH is down thirty percent from its all-time high. Sol is still down fifty, even though it's had a massive day today. It's at one thirty-two. Um, and DeFi, so BTC down ten, ETH down thirty, Sol down fifty, DeFi down like still eighty percent. And certain alts still down 80 to 70%. So, yeah, I think the important metric, again, to reemphasize Xiao's observation is anytime BTC has come within 10% of its prior all-time high, it doesn't stop there. And then everything else 
presumably if it stabilizes, should flow. Anything else from this week? Blastmas? You you um you wanna talk yeah, about Blastmas? Well, huh? You wanna talk about Blast? Blastmas? There's two two billion of TVL now in Blast. Two billion? That's right. I think there's a that launch today. And it uh, will launch tomorrow, I believe, Friday, thirtieth. There's yeah. no, th- there's no, uh, no Feb, no Feb thirty, my guy. Oh, sorry. Then, yeah, I guess today. Um, is today, this is a leap year, right? Leap year, leap year. Nice, nice. Bitcoin always goes up in leap years. You know that? I guess I do now. <laughs> Causation and correlation. I do I do not know, but <laughs> correlation and causation. Uh nice. Well, yeah, I mean the happening's coming. ETF. What kind, of com- what kind of companies we're building on, on Blast? A lot of like uh very the narrative right now is like very D Gen. Uh, Let me give you some some insight yeah. view here. I got forwarded a Google Doc with all the submissions across different categories, different tabs at all the different categories. Dex, perps, NFTs. Uh, social fi, game fi, and other infra. I looked at it and I tell Pac-Man, I'm like, dude, I'm going to pull an all-nighter here. And I, I got it for a couple of days. And, and he's like, you're only looking at 16% of the submissions that we called, like we filtered. I was like, Jesus Christ. And very encouraging. So there was a couple of mix. New, one, n- completely new projects. Um, two existing projects and other ecosystems that wanted to deploy on Blast. Actually, and some really good ones at that. So those were probably the two different categories. Um, Very strong. I would say like I had to rank them of like one through three. One would be I would take a meeting. Two, I would definitely use it. Three, I would invest with what I know. Um, And in every category that was... one three at least at least one three which i would invest and i've done that um i've invested in a few projects over the last couple of days um and a lot of twos of things that i would want to use um and a lot of ones so anyways really exciting um i tweeted about the projects that i found most interesting there's a lot of winners i think the <clears throat> what's been obviously most interesting is sort of this redemption arc that it's going through right a lot of people you know, we're critical of the launch and I think the team acknowledged it and, you know, we'll get past that. But I think, again, important to pay attention to these narratives, like builders want to go where there's going to be users and the Blast ecosystem is going to be among the best day one or in the first couple of months. And, you know, without naming names, I've got a lot of L2 projects, a lot of other ecosystem projects reach out and said, what can we learn about Blast? Um. You know, they've I'll, I said this at the time I took heat, never fade a good builder. My thesis for Blast was to team the build blur. Would you fade the, ten, the, the tensor team? Like, no, like you just don't. And so anyways, um, there was a rug this week. Like there will be scams, of course. There's uh, a lot of teams are you know, eyeing the incentive, the incentives are right. Of course, you know, the, there's a huge airdrop for builders. Like, you know, again, you want to be skeptical or critical of that. Like you have to incentivize this stuff. It's a, it's an attention game if, and, and this is what it takes. Right. So yeah, we'll see, you know, I, I'd say like everything, it will probably take time, but there's a lot of really, I would say really solid projects that are, you know, when you think about the, the start of most L most ecosystems like i think it it starts with DeFi, right and it starts with a good dex a good money market um and maybe hopefully perps right um and so there's really solid projects across those three categories and a very interesting uh um social fi uh project as well so but it's sort of degeny and so yeah we'll see i think it's going to be quite interesting how it shapes up I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, housekeeping. Oh, okay. Empire, Empire meetup at DAS. 
Right. Wednesday. Shoot, I forgot the time. I think it's 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. on uh, on Wednesday of DAS. Um, nice. So, yeah, be there. We're also going to do something. So, um, all right. So, permissionless. Who are we? I'm not sure I'm supposed to sh- I'll just share it because it's the end. Maybe people aren't listening to the end of the podcast. Permissionless launches on Tuesday. Permissionless launches with the first 50 speakers on Tuesday. Um, well, like, very, very excited about that. So... Are you, are you, did you make the cut? Are you there? No idea. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> Probably. Hopefully. Um, uh, so we've got a permissionless channel in Farcaster now. So go join that. Um, but also we are going to give uh, five free tickets away to permissionless top five casters in the empire channel. So there's an empire channel. It's got like 350 people, the top five most active people in the empire channel um, on, on Warpcast are going to get, free tickets to permissionless. We'll take a snapshot April 30th. Don't say it. No, just don't say when the snapshot's going to be. Just kidding. We will take a <laughs> snapshot <laughs> at some point in the future. You don't know yeah. when, though. Oh, yeah, I forgot. See, this is why I don't run a token. I don't know how to play the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I, I finally finalized. Wow, that was very stupid. I mean, finally finalized. Uh, my travel for DAS. Uh, so I'm very excited um, to meet up with a lot of people there. And I think it should be a really good time and discussion. Yeah. Cool. Agreed. This we might be our, our first. Is this going to be our first like pod community meetup? Yes. Right. We didn't have one in. Uh, um, yeah. First official one. There's going to be a lot of good stuff. Like we're going to build a whole like empire station i think at permissionless we're gonna have the setup and do live recordings on site and all that all that kind of stuff but yeah this will be the this will be the first test run so you guys better show up so then i can convince the team to go go bigger at permissionless nice amazing yeah um okay well again uh we usually close out with recommendations to read or listen to i i'll emphasize same as ever morgan housel i know bear markets are really hard to read but if you do have the time or audiobook I found it to be a very light read. You'll finish it in a day. Really good. All right. Sometimes it's I also have one. Either. Same as ever. Morgan Housel. Same as ever. Morgan Housel. Shout out Morgan Housel. I also have one. Oh, Avatar, The Last Airbender on Netflix. It's a bad right, I have. I, I need it. I need, I need, I need it this because I'm like sitting here. I'm not, I'm not actually head. kidding. It's a great show. My wife is out really? of town for a week and a half or two weeks or something um it's dangerous so yeah dangerous for for the raging i'm firing into <laughs> avatar the last airbender i'm uh, i'm like wandering around the streets of tokyo and uh listening to like podcasts and music and i will no, i'm actually going to vegas. i'm go- actually going to vegas tomorrow to go see um to go see you two at the sphere um, oh i know the manager actually well i'll dm you I've gotten to know him really well. Of the sphere or of you too? Of, oh no, like he's like the the right guy of Bono and all the. Those oh wow, guys. that's cool. And uh, he's Crypto there. Guy? No, definitely <laughs> not. No, no. <laughs> the, no. the polar like opposite of crypto. No. But uh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, nice that guy. should be cool. That should be cool. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, okay. All well, right. anything else? That's the pod. Let's call it. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Don't forget to claim your free wormhole NFT exclusive to Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description of today's episode and fill out the form to claim your unique wormhole NFT today.